The stories are beginning to fill me up. I shout out to the world, I need to write. So write, it shouts back. Tell us what you want us to hear, which to me translates into, open up Isabella so that we may tear you down as quickly as we build you up. And so with a lot of built up cold hesitation, I did. I wrote about the sound of running feet on the fertile soil of Nawaimbutha, the sprinkling of laughter and the smell of the kausa that made up the smoky fires that filled the air. I wrote about the precision in which each Valibakaviti was built and the sacrifices that might have been made before the posts were erected. I wrote about the fearsome warriors who stood over six feet tall and the even more fierce women that birthed their strong children. Children who learned how to fight and survive as soon as their feet touched their land. Their land that also showed them who they were. I wrote about how we are descended from the youngest of the three brothers, Naulumatua, Navakailoma, and Tambuavula. Tambuavula, who we revere as our Vu and the ancestor that paved the way for us. I wrote about how Tambuavula came ahead of his brothers and forged political allegiance with the Yavusa Nassau, so that when we are sitting in our traditional spaces amongst our kin from the two older brothers, yes, we follow the protocols of being descended from the younger sibling and speak as Valelevu and Atamutale na Komaitea Nuda, na Vuvale and Awembuta. But when we are amongst our Waimaro kin, who remember and know the history of our ancestor Tambuavula and his political prowess before the time of the white man whose claim in our traditional spaces about being the one who taught us how to organize and conquer is rendered null and void. We are acknowledged with a Dovuti Wakaturangatiko Evalilevu Eteanuda Nailiuliu Nyatunasau Nandrianganiwalu. I also wrote about the salty taste of the air on the white sandy beachfront of my Koromakawa, where the name of my village, Matadula, comes from when those who had journeyed across the seas landed on the shores seeking out water and were led to a rock which they struck, and from it sprang the spring that runs clear to this very day. For in the land of milk and honey from whence I come, the word spring is translated into the melodic term mata, and the second part of the name is to pierce. Hence matadula, the overflowing spring that was pierced. I wrote about the penetrating heat that scorched my back as a young child as we walked the long track to get back to Natambutale from the Koromakawa. The long track that hastened us home after a day of adventuring with my tavales from Waindina. I wrote about the mangotombua that hung low from the branches behind my grandmother's house, Valekau, which were always watched with my grandfather's hawkeyes from his house, Nakamakama. I wrote about my cousin Nico and their family home, Nandevo. Nico, my partner in crime, just mere months separated us, yet you'd think we were twins because of the mischief we got up to. His older sister, Tima, commandeering our little troop of misfits. She was the cool one. She still is. I wrote about this beautiful woman from Matamaivere Namara, Eleanor Maramanikaiviwa, 
who birthed the Nainduki siblings, all eleven of them, from my Nailo, who is the matriarch of our family now, right down to Neiliti, the youngest, who always had and always will have a soft spot for her brother Simi and his children. I wrote about the brothers and sisters in between, their children, their children's children, and their children's children's children. You see, these stories poured out of me like the honey that I drizzled over the succulent figs I found on a whim on my lockdown grocery jaunt. But that's as far as it got, because when I tried to share these stories with those who are the self-appointed gatekeepers for the scribes waiting to have their words immortalized, I was told a resounding, no, 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 these are not the stories that they want our children to hear. But they didn't just stop there. They pulled my words out of my mouth and ripped it to shreds. Because to them, these stories do not fit the narrative that they have in place of the uneducated Itauke. These stories shine way too much light on the brilliance of the Itauke mind. It shines way too brightly on the ability of being able to organize and build each other up. It shines way too brightly on the role of the Itauke woman who is the backbone of every Itauke household. It shines way too brightly for those of us who want to do away with the perpetual narrative of savages who are uncontrollable. We want to move it away from being the laughing stock for the white saviors. The same white saviors that came with their white men religion that subtly shifted the power dynamics and confused us with who we should bend the knee to. The same white saviors that used our respect for our hierarchy to make us submissive to those who abused their position of power. Our very own who would rather be the white man's puppet than be the one to lead us. And so began our lament of, it be our own. These stories tell of a time when we had autonomy over our own land. When our boundaries were not decided by some administrative boundary that divided us into tikinas that separated us from our own kin. You see, these narratives they created is their currency to perpetuate their agenda of continuous confusion and misinformation. But despite the despairing weight that crushes my chest, I know that just like my ancestors, I will find a way to bring my stories to life so that my children will learn who they are from me and not the gatekeeper whose time is up. I lost a friend this year. It's crazy when I think about how much her death really impacted me. I realized also that it was a different type of grief from what I felt when I lost my mother. The last time I truly felt this type of grief was when I lost my grandfather. I guess you could say I grieved the opportunities of being able to share her with my husband and children. And as selfish as this sounds, because she has a loving family who miss her on a totally different level of grief and mourning. But that's how I felt the loss when I lost my friend. But to really share with you why this loss was and is a little different to the angry and messy grieving that I had with my mother, which consequently I'm still working through, I guess I need to start from 
the beginning. Those who know me beyond what I write on social media know that I've had this internalized conflict with what my faith is and what it stands for. I grew up in a traditional Methodist home. I was one that went to Sunday school from as soon as I was old enough to talk. Sunday morning meant getting up early, getting dressed in your best white dress with a red ribbon to go around your waist and being dropped off at church with your older siblings to then go to your individual Sunday school class. Sunday mornings meant the smell of fresh flowers in the brass vases that had been kindly donated by the members of the church who had just returned from a tour to Lebanon. Sunday morning meant getting out of the car and inhaling the smell of firewood which meant Sunday lover for some families down the road. Sunday morning meant reuniting with my friend Sai, whose mom Una was our Sunday school teacher and excitedly sharing the colored pencils that Sai brought with her for our class pictures and drawings. It goes without saying that I was in our Sunday school choir from when I was four years old right up until I left high school. In a way, if you look at it from an academic standpoint, it was, in addition to the educational system I was growing up with, another type of institutionalized learning but one that was to prepare myself for the promise of an afterlife that was far better than anything we could ever imagine. My father is probably going to disagree with my take on this. That is, that this was a form of institutionalized learning. And yes, we may have a few exchanges of words, which is something I have come to relish, because now as a 36-year-old, I value his input more on how I view the world that I grew up in as an adult, as a parent, and most importantly, as a child and young adult who now is so much more worldly and street smart even, and is learning to heal through the experiences and circumstances that I had no control over back then. Circumstances that my father also had no control over in a traditional sense but that is another conversation for another day. My somewhat jaded relationship with the church that I grew up with that sheltered me and also grounded my foundation of faith into a higher being that was so much bigger than what the mere mortal mind can ever comprehend began after I found out that I was pregnant with my eldest. I was ostracized in a way that made me feel less than and it brought my worth to the lowest of lows that made me question not only the purpose of my being but also if this was a faith that was about love and grace, especially for those whose worldly flaws were to be accepted when they fell to their knees in repentance for all their wrongdoing, then why was I the exception to be cast out and made an example of? Why was I the worst a young Methodist could be and can be? The scarlet woman without the need to wear the scarlet letter physically because the heart that I wore on my sleeve screamed out. It screamed to all those who shunned me as a way to remind them that they were above me because of my sin, that the consequences of my choices and the continuous consequences of my initial action was warranted and therefore I must forever be cast out amongst the unbelievers. So off I went, jaded, picking up the shattered pieces of my faith and placing them aside for another day, 
because it also birthed a time in which I questioned a lot of things that I had been spoon-fed as a young, impressionable child about my faith. Some things I was very resistant against. But if anything is to be gained from all of this, it would be that I consumed a lot of literature to try and make sense of why our Tala Tala felt the need to condemn me to the everlasting fires of hell. I began to believe the narrative that my soul was to be condemned forever, and I made peace with it. What I did decide for myself was that faith aside, I was going to be the best example I could be to my child of what a decent human being must be. Granted, there has been failures along the way, but it's taught me to try and be accountable always for my actions. But wait, it wouldn't have been life of Isabella if there wasn't a plot twist to this whole story, something to completely throw the spanner into the works. Enter stage left, my husband, then boyfriend Neville. To say he was God-sent is an understatement. We broke a lot of rules, though, when we initially shacked up together, as one does when it is young love. But life on the edge, as they say, makes the love go round. So in sin, we existed for two years before we decided to make it official and give my parents that peace of mind and get married. Twelve years I have been with this beautiful man who has taught me more about faith and obedience in his faith than I could have ever learned in any Sunday school class. In these twelve years I have learned to confront the broken young woman who conveniently learned to hide the fractured slides of life that came with the life lessons dished out haphazardly along the way as I tried to navigate it with my jaded faith burdening my shoulders. And then this beautiful soul of a man who taught me to love myself, to heal myself, and to hold myself accountable, introduced me to this pure soul and her family, and I fell in love with a friendship in ways that I cannot express in words because for the first time, I learned to delve through those fractured pieces and lay them out so that I could really question why I did the things the way I did. Many deep and meaningful conversations ensued and thus began this friendship that never had any spaces in between, because each time we met, we picked up from where we left off. This kaleidoscope of feelings and mixed emotions that came with the multi-layered conversations that we had extended beyond us. It reached back into my early childhood to remind me of the brilliance of my grandfather's mind and how he set the fire and stoked the interest in creative writing that no teacher will ever be able to match up to. This emotionally charged friendship showed me how important intentionally living in the moment and for the future was. It taught me how to harness the power of my words so that it poured life into the consumers of my content and not create discord or discontent. This friendship that fueled questions about how impactful our actions were in each other's lives. And in all its purity, it began to gently draw me back to those fractured pieces of faith laid bare and ignored. It made me slowly bring the pieces together to fit them back. Definitely not as perfectly as I wanted, even though for many years I had been consumed by the notion to do so. 
No, this friendship gently challenged me to take each broken piece and place it back strengthened by the journey it had taken to get to the place that I am in now. Strengthened to be able to fit back into its original place. Reveling in its brokenness because the brokenness renewed the spirit that was within. It sparked that smoldering ember patiently awaiting me to come full circle. You see, this friendship that was the final piece in this healing process was my friend Jenny. Someone who embraced my brokenness, my unwanted flaws, my unspoken heartache and turned it into strength after strength after strength in the most kindest and gentlest way that she knew how to without judgment or any justification from me. We have sat in silence, in laughter, in shared love for our children and our families. She made me begin to question what it is that I seek from my faith in God and is it because I seek approval from my immediate family, from Neville, from my children? Because try as we must to deny the fact, any faith we believe in is the most individualistic journey that each of us has to travel. No one can carry that burden or unpack the layers of generational knowledge that it comes with but ourselves. I have had the honor of meeting so many amazing people so far in this short life of mine. But only a few have made life-changing impacts on me, like my friend, Jennifer Kate Trebles. Always remembered, always honored.